0: Etsy Local 212 represents over 1,000 artists, technicians, and craftspeople working in Southern Alberta's entertainment industry. In the screen industry, they service projects with budgets ranging from $100,000 to $100 million. Recent increases to local production volumes have led to increased outreach and training. They promote respectful workplaces, safety, fairness, and first-rate benefits for their members. Local 212 is open to partnering with other industry stakeholders on training and marketing initiatives. They offer an informative set etiquette course each month, which is open to all. To learn more about them, please check out their website at iatse212.com or like and follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Happy podcasting.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm so excited, Matt. It's another episode of the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. I'm Scott Westby and I'm Matt Waterworth and we
0: are Full Swing Productions and uh, every week we talk about the film industry in Alberta. Yeah.
1: Um, just like yeah, just, which is niche. Yeah. Just like <laughs> Ewan McGregor did on on Ellen. <laughs> he did recently, yeah. Tell me about that. Did you hear about this? He he's actually super awesome I, I about don't understand. Calgary. He must yeah.
0: we, someone's paying him for sure cuz <laughs> he he's so nice. He goes out of his way
1: to to bring it up it seems like. Um but he obviously enjoyed his time working on Fargo and uh and it was funny cuz ellen did was just here and she was like yeah I was just there too it's a great cool right time. of course yeah, yeah so calgary uh getting a little a bit of attention i uh i'm going to call out um kelton stepanovich oh who was like he was making fun of people being excited about Ewan mcgregor back when you know he, won, he was winning the right. golden globe or whatever talking about calgary uh, it's okay it's okay to be excited about uh a, a little bit f- of celebrity on, yeah, yeah it's it's not it's okay kelton you know we, we're allowed to be happy about this um, we're, we're a pretty small jurisdiction in, in the grand scheme of things. So, uh, to get that kind of recognition is, it is a big deal for a lot of people. So it He's doesn't just jealous. It, yeah, exactly. He's yeah. jealous that they didn't call him <laughs> out for McMurray. For He's, McMurray yeah. gets a lot of attention. Too for that. McMurray gets a lot of attention. Well, from <laughs> us at least anyway. Um, yeah, so it's okay to be happy about that. It's not going to change the world or anything, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's cool. So thanks Ewan McGregor. And Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. And you know what? I don't know. I guess I'm soapboxing now, but it's it's really important that that stars have a good time when they're in Calgary shooting or in Edmonton Absolutely. shooting or in Alberta shooting. Uh, and that's why, you know, whatever your politics are around the Leonardo DiCaprio thing, I was really disappointed that uh, so much media attacked him uh, over what he said, um, because that's actually anti-business. Um, yes, because if he is. doesn't want to come back here, which I'm sure he doesn't now. Um, that hurts production here in Alberta. Let's say someone, some Alberta filmmaker was able to get Leonardo DiCaprio and he's like, Ooh, you want me to come back to Calgary? Uh, I imagine he's not going to feel very welcome. Um, so that could really... Um... I imagine he's not very welcome. <laughs> it, this is which true. is this Which is, is true. so yeah. shitty. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and, and I,
0: I think people don't recognize the power that movie stars have.
1: Yeah, yeah. Spe- on on like business, on this business in particular. On yeah. this business in particular, it's massive. Yeah, because And they all know each other and they all talk to yeah. each other. Yeah, totally. It's so important. So so it's a really good thing uh, that you and McGregor would probably want to come back and and had a good time. Yeah, so thanks to the crews that <laughs> made him feel Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I remember seeing him like posting on Instagram about like him and one of the, one of the um, teamster drivers driving him right. to set. They were like rocking out to some music right. together. And I was like, that's awesome that yeah. he yeah, that he's doing that. And that, yeah, teachers well, are showing him a good time too. He, and he's been here before.
0: He was here when he was that's filming right. the long way around. That's right. Um, and he seemed to enjoy himself here as well. Despite the
1: car accident, despite the, the car accident.
0: Yes, that's right. Two in their whole trip around the world. and They're both in Calgary.
1: Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and if, and if, this is coming out of context for anybody. If you don't know, uh, getting a star, a name like Leonardo DiCaprio or Ian McGregor, or even even a smaller name, can be a really key part of finding financing for your film. So one of the most important parts, as we've been learning for sure. You know, for sure, we, we we've got some
0: some good projects that are kind of packaged and ready to go. And then the question we keep bumping up against is who's in it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that's who gets like think about what you care about when you go see a movie, right? It's like yeah. oh, there's a new thriller coming out. Yeah. Oh, who's in it? That's what, that's what we all ask, right? That's what makes money in yeah. movies. Really, apart from like hardcore, high concept or genre uh, or really niche
1: stuff, it's movie stars. Absolutely. Or or a massive marketing budget, which totally. Or, nobody's going to yeah. spend a, a bunch of a million dollars on a marketing budget. Without or film, film festival cast, buzz right? too, but
0: that's right. uh, a movie that's already been sure, made. Sure, sure. So, but even
1: those movies don't even break through. Like you look at the Oscar films, they not many of them get, you know, big, big releases. Right. Yeah. Uh, even though totally. they're really critically acclaimed. Totally. Um, it's just how it is. So so I, I hope that people consider uh business in Calgary and the jobs that are created by film, uh, before they slam uh uh, certain stars. Um, you can disagree. Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) You can disagree. There's nothing wrong with that, but, uh, really, uh, making fun of, or, or just, yeah, just consider business. I, I mean, especially a publication, uh, such as the one I'm thinking of, um, really kind of went out of their way to, to rub it in his face and, and, uh, it's a it's a it's an argument and a discussion that i uh but, but this publication's audience is also exactly quite exactly oil industry right focus and but you would think business minded as well so i think there's a disconnect in understanding uh how important it can be to our industry right well um, and there's also a
0: disconnect um in an understanding of how the film industry is is an economic yeah industry yeah. like it's a real thing yeah. and, and you know people think oh leonardo caprio you know he's a you know fancy pants artists like yeah, like yeah. who gives a shit about art um but it is important and there's actually a survey out right now which leads us into our next piece nice, of this year, nice. that uh is designed to uh give the government some guidance on raising the awareness of the value in artists uh, in alberta not only like not only um fine arts but you know visual media arts as well um and filmmaking so uh, this is a survey that you can check out at alberta.ca. So it's the government that is putting out a status of the artist engagement and governments in um, Ontario and Quebec have already done something like this and they've created, uh, they've implemented initiatives because of this, the people who filled out this survey that are saying, yes, we need more government involvement in the arts. Um, you know, whether you believe that the government should be um, outsourcing artists to to create art installations in Calgary or whether you believe they should be paying local artists to do it um, and just, you know, how they can create better communities. uh but also promote the economic value of art Mm. uh, in our province, Mm -hmm. which is real. It's a real thing. Um, It creates real real jobs uh, and real money goes around. So yeah. So you can uh, find out more about this specific survey in the show notes, and I encourage everybody to fill it out. I just did this morning. It doesn't take very long. It's pretty easy. Cool. So do that.
1: Awesome. Well, Scott, we had uh, the honor of, of getting uh, one of the veterans of our community on the show this week. Um, And, Dean Bennett is, uh, you know, he's been a mentor, I think to a lot of people, um, and hearing his story, uh, you know, and learning about how he, uh, he has gone from, like, it's, it's incredible from, from a grapher, uh, a grapher, grapher, from a gaffer, uh, all to cinematographer, to director, and now to the producer of one of the longest, of the longest running one hour drama in Canadian history. Um, it's a crazy story and it's, and it's awesome. He's so nice and he's kind, <laughs> yes, yeah, but he's really like so is. insightful. Yeah.
0: And uh, every time I chat with him, I I learn something like really seriously, like mm-hmm. changes how I think about storytelling. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there were a couple of those moments that I can't stop thinking about since this interview. Yeah. So I hope uh, it's really, you yeah, it. it's yeah.
1: really special. And um, and I hope we get to do another one because we were kind of just getting into the really, you know, nitty gritty of, of storytelling. And uh, but hearing his journey is so great. And so here it is with Dean Bennett. Okay, so if you want to get a little bit closer, or just bringing it closer to you, that'll work. And this is working
0: for me. Mine's hello. Yeah, yours is yeah. good.
1: Okay. Hello. All right, great. I, I'm going to turn you up a little bit. Test my
2: microphone. Been, this but, is working. Okay. You mean, a little bit closer. That's great. I think yeah, that's right.
1: all right. Awesome. Okay, so uh, so we're in the brand new uh, Heartland Production Office, and I spent a good a good year. At at the heartland production office but not this one and this is so cool and so hip and feels like a film place
2: it does it um, feels like it yeah
1: so thanks for letting us do this here
2: um i'm thrilled to have you
1: yeah cool yeah. so uh so yeah i mean we, we, let's start at the beginning i mean how did i mean i you know without bearing the lead i know that your journey has has gone from everything from directing to cinematography to now producing um but where did it all start for you for film
2: well, I grew up in central Alberta, a small school that, uh, it was a world that d- did not have television. And right. I think thus set my path in stone.
1: Uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't even have like the ability to watch television? No. Oh, okay. no.
2: I mean, we could, uh, I watched Hockey Night in Canada occasionally at, right. uh, friends up in right. Penhold and, okay. uh, it was, you know, it a 60 mile drive Wow! and you'd see a little bit of, um, Man from Uncle, or Get Smart, or something like that, sure. and Beverly Hillbillies, and uh, and then you'd see NFB NFB films. Okay, uh, on Friday afternoons at school. Wow. So, I think for me, the sort of starvation, the unknown, right? Starvation of the unknown uh, became a driver, right? And anytime we would see any form of uh, of film. I'd be there, the first person to sit at the front and be completely ensconced and in, in watching. Uh, when I was a kid, a, a, a strange little f- story for me, at least, was I, my dad was a carpenter and had a workshop. And um, I tried to make a movie camera out of tin, which he gave me. And I was, you know, I cut out a little box, narrow little box, because I'd seen Super 8 somewhere. Sure. And um, was about to start cutting out the gear that would pull the film through. And then I realized I had no film and no, had no idea <laughs> <laughs> how, uh, how, you know, how it worked or what size of anything. And I abandoned the project uh, <laughs> I'm in the middle of I love that. That's I so, it. Like, that's Like awesome. if I just
1: build the, the box. The camera, uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe it'll happen. I love it.
2: Yeah, so there was some intent right. um, to the un, to the great unknown. I had no inclination at that point. Um, ended up in carpentry and um, somewheres in my mid-20s thought there's got to be more than pounding nails on somebody else's X's on right. two by fours. Right. I wanted if at the very least to be the person drawing up Right. The X's, the, plan, the yeah. X's, <laughs> and, uh, and and exploration of that took me to the realization: I've always loved film, or i always loved television. I, I want to look into this, and uh, to not be too long-winded about it, ended up taking a, a night class at State. Oh, okay. on movie making one. Wow! With the late uh, Tim Hollings as as teacher. Now he wow. was a cinematographer, right? Who had taken over for the the normal instructor while that person was. Uh, getting a, a doctorate or something elsewhere and he oh, okay. happened just happenstance was the was the the teacher and I took the course loved it I felt like I really understood it I understood the close-ups and reverses and axis and all this stuff felt like the most natural thing for me and at the end of uh, whatever 10 weeks of doing that he uh, I asked him, whether a person could make a living doing it. Right. And <laughs> well, you know, da- I, dangerous question. Yeah. Is probably. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And he, he gave a, a, a qualified yes. Okay. Like, he, you know, he, he said, you're not going to make much to begin with, but you, he said, look at me, I did. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So I saved up the next two months worth of carpentry work, framing houses. And um, it was about three months. And then I, in the meantime, told him I'd be available for anything, any work he had. And here I am, a few decades later, <laughs> <laughs> is it living off the avails of uh, of, of that the, moment? Of those three months of savings, you're still <laughs> exactly. stretching
0: those out. That's amazing.
1: How That's resourceful! <laughs> well, it helps when you get free food on set, right? That's so right. That, that yeah. helps yeah. absolutely. Um, so, if, so what was step one when you made that decision to to get into the business?
2: Step one was working for Tim for about oh, uh, okay. half a year, a year, and then um, William F. White had just the equipment. Company had just moved into Calgary the Uh first time. Okay. And, uh, what year was this around? Oh, you're talking to the wrong person. (laughs) I 19 something. This is 2018. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, thank you. This year. Thank you. Um, a long time ago, but 30 some years ago. Okay. Yeah. A little more than that. All right. And, um, yeah, so Whites had opened a, uh, an office up in the northeast near the airport, and uh, we went there to get equipment for a documentary that t- Tim was working on. And uh, the guys there asked if the the guy he that they had with them, me, <laughs> would be interested in in working at the shop. Oh. And so uh, ever, I mean, for me, it was intriguing because there was uh, they had film cameras yeah, of every right, of course, type. right. They were doing camera at that time. Yep, yeah, and yeah. all the new HMI lights and all that stuff that was was so intriguing to me. Right. I spent 2 years there and then they closed their do- the doors uh, for a short period of time. They ended up coming back and of course now are the 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 main player across sure. Canada yeah. sure, at this sure. point. Yeah. Um but um ended up working for a year at CFCN. They I asked if they asked if I could come up and join them in commercial production and and we got to use the 35 mil cameras. Oh wow. And uh, so we would choose a different one every, every, every outing, <laughs> whether we needed First. that exact type or not. So we could learn them. Well, that was uh, Derek Underschultz, who's now out of Toronto and New York, I think, but uh, he's, he started in Edmonton and Calgary and uh, we did it. We did one year and uh, that was one of the closest I'd been to an office in my life. Okay. Right. And uh I, couldn't I didn't like it much. I loved working with Derek, but it, I, I didn't like the the, the nine to five ness of it. The structure, and, yeah. The structure of right. it, and uh, started uh, started looking elsewhere. And Doug McLeod, another Albertan, w- was re- production managing a series for CTV, and they used CFCN as the the headquarters. Oh, okay. And he met me in the hallway, and I can't remember how how he knew. Uh, or how we knew each other, right? But um, he he asked if I would come on as gaffer because I'd been doing a lot of the lighting and, and that with right, okay. with Derek Unterschultz. So then onto a television series, Hamilton's right. Quest, as a gaffer, gaffing a well. completely <laughs> new job, <Wow. drawing. laughs> unreal. Yeah, and um, that actually I jumped ahead of one step was as a generator operator while I was at William F. White, right, on a feature film called The Ruffian with John Scott, another oh, okay, another yeah, famous Albertan, yeah. So the legends, the, the legends, Yuck. absolutely. And, uh, I owe my whole entire career run to those guys. Wow. So yeah. I,
1: I love that, that you would break out equipment at whites and just try it out. Uh, mm-hmm. just because I just saw, I'm friends with someone who's doing that exact, exact thing right now, working for whites and getting to try out some of the equipment. But of course the 2018 version of that is there, they've got I don't even know what this is. I'd never seen this before, but it's a, it's a, it looks like a giant RC car with a camera on it and someone's ripping this RC vehicle around with a camera oh, and they're, that's, I, <laughs> that's, that's, that's their, that's their version of, of just trying things out in the, in the space there. Yeah, cool. yeah. That's fantastic to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> so, so now you're a gaffer.
2: A gaffer and worked you know, I was able to do some commercials along that time, shooting them a little bit. Frame thirty, Mike Ham up at Frame oh, wow. thirty. Oh Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my uh, fir-
1: I worked with Frame thirty. My first ever film job was uh, shooting a music video with them.
2: Yeah, yeah. Another Albert and Roger Vernon very much mentored me, and he he was shooting for Michael at the time, and uh, Michael Ham and at Frame thirty. And uh, somewhere in there, uh, Michael asked me if I would do a, a film. I think it was for the Air Force, and that was. You know, at that point I was getting the odd exposure <laughs> <laughs> right with a camera and I was able to do a project for the Department of National Defense or whatever wow. it's called at yeah, the time. Yeah. yeah, And with F-18s and all that stuff, wow. it was oh very God. exciting, cool. first film. And it worked out and, you know, it was sort of a commercial here, a commercial there, Right. some for General Motors, some for Ford, Dodge, Kentucky Drive Chicken, just From there, yeah. yeah. Eventually, wow. Telos and eventually Subway was. Uh, I mean, some of those were done for other companies and of course in in Alberta. But uh, so probably a three to five year run in commercials and and becoming established as a director of photography and somewhere in there doing a feature film for David Winning, another Albertan. Oh wow. yeah, yeah. He did his second film. Yeah, called there's a killer image.
1: Yeah, there's a picture of you and Ironside and David <laughs> on IMDb. Right. That's right.
2: Yeah. Probably the only image I know. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that was with David. And, um, boy, I, not only do I not know the dates of anything, I might be leaving <laughs> out the odd decade here and there, because I tend to have the eyes focused a little further forward Fair than enough. back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but
1: that, so, sorry, you were cinematography, cinematographer on, on that movie? Okay,
2: cool. Yeah, cinematographer on the, on the right. movie, uh, David directed. Cool. Wow. And, uh, but I was directing and shooting a lot of the commercials. Right. And right. uh, babies, uh, I met Arlene, and then Riley, our son, came a year and a half later or so. And okay. I suddenly felt I needed to be home. I couldn't be right. doing the, the driving up and down right. Highway Two right. in ice conditions <laughs> much longer. <laughs> yeah. So I took, uh, coincidentally, north of sixty, and ah. Doug McLeod again. Yes. Right. Um, came along a uh, CBC, and they asked me if I would be the camera operator on that. Okay. Okay. So that was probably the beginning of the of what I would call my education <laughs> uh, That's, you've a,
0: done, you've done commercials for Subway and McDonald's and <laughs> the and, Department, of Justice. And the yeah, Department yeah. of Justice, but you hadn't started your education
2: yet. <laughs> uh, it, not a, not in a practical way or not right. in a, not in a focused way. Right. So uh, the well, second yeah. year as an operator on North of 60, there was a director of photography from Toronto, uh, Manfred Gute, uh, who, who le- schooled me. He was uh, he was a a tough master, but he easily the the, kind of the toughest two years of my time in the industry. But easily the best because he pushed you. Or he pushed. He wanted he wanted perfection in every frame. He wanted and and he knew how to accomplish it. Right. And he was all about process. He was you know one of the things I had to learn to do was stop explaining to actors that, that you know about could you be on your mark could you move a little to the side if you move if you get in here you lose your, you know right all the stammering yeah and he would say just tell them one thing tell them could you please be on your mark and so i i learned right. that he, huh. he he was the one that taught me that the camera operator runs the set and how to do that huh. so i had to learn a, a hundred tricks one of the tricks i learned was to do technical rehearsals in reverse I mean that was one that I, I taught myself. We didn't have stand-ins at that point, right? Right? Right. So you had to memorize everything with your lens, and then work it out with the dolly grip while they're lighting. Then, when the cast come back, the tendency is to is to run a technical rehearsal, but that is in the director's hands. So I would stop, start it in reverse at the final point, and then move them all backwards, and then they wouldn't act, uh, so I could get uh, we could get the, yeah. So there's a lot of those uh, details of of how to. How to communicate? What a shot means? Probably the most valuable. And when I say schooling, it is is the constant question. What's most interesting? He never answered my questions. If I said, "Should I frame like this or this?" He would always just say, "What's what's most interesting," and mm. then walk away and <laughs> wow. leave it to me. And so that cool. it, it was that, and then it was there that I started to realize that every piece of a frame is telling a story and mm. has a feeling, mm. and it takes years to to. It's a lot of. It's not something you can articulate. Right. It's much more felt. And you just have to do it a, a, a few thousand times and, right. and not be fired for it yeah, before you get yeah. the confidence. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> and at the start, you you just you know when you feel it, but maybe not necessarily why. Completely. But then it's as you start to do it more and more you pick up on patterns and stuff. It's yep. like, yeah.
2: It's only years later that when I'm in mentoring situations that you realize now I can articulate. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can say to a, a new director or an operator or something like that what does this shot say to you or what does it, you know, or it's a shot about a coffee cup. You might want to frame it in <laughs> 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 I a scene about a coffee cup, right, you know, right, those right. kinds of what seem rather obvious things, sure. but so Manfred school schooled me. I mean, I, if I were to list all the things we'd be here for six weeks. Sure. Right. Sure. Because it's, it's, it is cinema and it is about the frame to a great extent. Mm-hmm. And that is something that takes years. I believe maybe it's just because it took me years, but it takes a long time to really get to the point where you're everything's intuitive and you're feeling it. Right. Yeah.
0: Was that? Would you say that's when you started um, coming into your own as a storyteller, or did that happen earlier while you were doing commercials and stuff? Or no, even earlier? definitely
2: uh, the earlier stuff. I mean, we did. We had a lot of uh, freedom, and Michael gave me a lot of freedom too, so I was able to stretch myself a lot. Right. Uh, in the in the commercial years and, and early yeah. early docs and industrials. But it had to become formalized and it also, right. the process had to be done. I work in television now and television has a clock grinding away all day long. and mm-hmm. it, it just is part of what, of the, of the realities. Right. And uh, it, it set me up, I think, towards success there because you have to know ahead of time. Right. Pre-plan or if you're going free form, be able to intuitively know with confidence that that's going to be good on air. Right. Three months from now, right Sunday night at seven.
1: <laughs> but how do you get that skill to know that? Like that's, that's, time. Yeah, that sounds it like is, something you it really is. have. To... Well,
2: time, and I, I don't want to put some great, you know, you have to spend decades at it. I did, but um, uh, there's young geniuses that can pick it up in a relatively short time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember looking at my daughter's photographs with her small cameras pre, pre-iPhone, and I was always mesmerized by it the the sort of the random angles that she would take photographs from that i wouldn't have ever i would have set them up as classic television stuff but that is arguably boring right and i'd start to realize well that's a far more like she you know took a picture of a wall socket or something or a wall plug and it's actually an image that i would that that evokes a feeling right right so i started you know that has helped and i think uh, we unfortunately kind of get schooled out of our natural
0: sure. exploration, exploration.
2: Yeah. And, uh, I know as a director of photography, that happened when I was, when I went, I had been shooting commercials. I think some of my better best photography was in the days before I bought all the meters. Right, Um, <laughs> right. and, and suddenly you start get us, you buy a spot meter and you're trying to put everything perfectly on the, on the film right. I, and my stuff was starting, when I looked at it, it would feel more average, less interesting, less mm. contrast, less
0: mm. out on the edge. Right. It was more, it was more correct, but not necessarily. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting, right.
3: Huh, it goes cool. back
2: to interest every time. What yeah. What do you feel? And I think I was mesmerizing myself <laughs> <laughs> out, out of, uh, out of what interested me. Huh, so cool. It took a while to get back.
1: So... How long did North of 60 run for? How many seasons was North
2: that? of 60 ran, I think it's five seasons. I think it was 90 some episodes. And then there was five movies of the week. Holy Spread smokes. out over right. five years after that. Right. And, then, and
0: did you, did you camera operate for everything or did you? Nope. No.
2: I was uh camera operator the first three years and director of photography, the last two. Okay. And I shot four, uh, three out of the next five and I directed one right now so, we're talking and
1: is that yeah. where is that where that transition happened it was
2: close to that but in, it, after north of 60 somewhere in there there was two years of a show called tom stone ah yeah andrew reggett yes. uh tom cox stray right. randall were mm-hmm. producers and i believe exec produce, producers
1: when and that would have been early
2: 90s i was hoping you'd know
1: <laughs> i well so you're
2: gonna have to help me i mean yeah, literally <laughs> i'm not playing games i yeah I, no, <laughs> I, I,
1: I i'm sure imdb would tell us but I, I remember working for Tom and Jordy, and like you know, I would be in the storage room, you know, with all sorts of just boxes and boxes of files. But every once in a while, there'd be like a Tom Stone hat, and I'd be like, mm-hmm. "What is this? What is you know,
2: this? you're it w- you said late '90s? It would yeah, maybe was 2000 because we, we were shooting yeah, maybe Tom it was even Stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At nine eleven, we were oh, at yeah. oh, okay, the Remand okay. Center. Wow, and we got uh, sort of a lockdown situation. It was the weirdest place really? to to hear wow. the stories coming in from outside. You're in a prison. We're in a prison. An <laughs> abandoned in the prison, Northwest in the Remed Center. Downtown. Oh, downtown. Oh, the, wow. The old one. The old one. Abandoned to that point. So yeah. it was just used for right. for, for television. So yeah, so wow. it's two, 2000, 2001 or it something like that? Yeah, it, it must have been, yeah. It must have been, you're right. Or 1-2, anyway. And um, it was during that time, actually with my interest in directing, it had been on North of 60 and I had, had talked to Tom about it and he'd said if we could find a good exchange me as a as a dp and I confess I was just too tired at that point to go through that process but he remembered that after season 1 of Tom Stone a CBC show he he offered me a, a one episode to direct and okay. I directed one of the the second last episode I think of uh, wow. of Tom Stone amazing and then the following year did a, a North of 60 which was their last one so Oh okay okay yeah so the the north of 60 of the north of 60 yeah yeah. so i did those two back to back still was working as an operator i purposely would take operating jobs camera operating because i wanted to watch the greats work so i work on a miniseries and i would get to do all the close-ups on robert duvall or right oh john i can't remember his name john goodman for one there's another john cusack Oh. Uh people like that you get to you know it was it was wonderful to work with those kind of people but I was there to watch the directors. How do you right. deal with stars and all that kind of well, thing?
1: Well that was going to be my question is how do you get how, how did you get your directing education but you got it while you were being a DP and being a Very
2: much player? get it from the desire I had back in the commercial days but what, when you become a camera operator you get you also become an, have the perfect spot to be an observer. Right. Yeah. Right. So I remember my years in North of sixty, Thompson, and that I would be mesmerized by certain director's skill. I believe that a director's moment is the blocking. Mm. A lot of people just, you know, let's not block. Let's just somebody's going to be there. Somebody's going to be there. But sure. In so doing, I firmly believe that, and I came to that conclusion on my own <laughs> watching people flail at blocking because right. it's an odd thing. You're taking sure. stuff off a flat page. You're trying to three dimensionalize it and turn it back it's into weird. a flat image. Yeah. yeah. and so it takes a while to get used to that it's it's completely learnable but um and some people just choose not to and some people embrace it and and it's it's art form Hmm. it's like watching a conductor conduct or perhaps a composer compose if that's possible to watch but um so yeah i would i I would make notes sometimes if not too tired um at the end of a day with certain directors george bloomfield was one who would orchestrate these elaborate wonders on very mm. tight lenses, which is an operator were a nightmare to to operate' right. we're in the, you know no doubt yeah being pushed to the very limits of your ability and yet from a storytelling point of view, they were all about subtext they were about the text and they mm. you know they told the story beautifully. so hmm. I think that's where the where the directing school came from and then I was I've always been a student of it Cool. reading yeah and talking to every director who uh, had five minutes on the side. Right. Yeah.
1: Awesome. So, uh, what? Where? When did the Walter Gretzky story happen? Because that's that's the first thing. You know, I was I was a I was acting in Edmonton. I was an acting mm-hmm. student, and I remember hearing a friend of mine had auditioned for it and actually got the part. And um, I should I should remember his name before I tell the story. But he was one of the. One of the brothers, I guess? Okay. One yeah, of the younger we, we had three from yeah.
2: I believe it was three. I should maybe have looked that up before I came <laughs> to uh, I believe there's three three, three. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah. Gretzky, well, Wayne and a then a sister or two and, yeah, and yeah, two or yeah. three brothers so as he was well as one Wayne. of these, yeah. And he was and those yeah.
2: three actors, as I recall, were from Edmonton.
1: Right, okay, cool. Yep. Um so so how did that all, all come about? Because yeah. I remember I remember seeing ads for that in Tim Hortons, right? Like it was, it was a big Canadian yeah, story. It
2: was. And it was a story to my shame, perhaps that I had been unaware of. Okay. I mean, I, I briefly heard that Walter right. Gretzky had been injured, but I had no idea the, the extent I used to skate. This will sound like a non sequitur, but I, I uh, used to be on ice in winter for three to four hours, five hours a day. There's a, as a oh, wow. player or a coach or as a oh, referee or wow. yeah and what was very odd for me is that i so embraced the sport then i moved to the city um i almost abandoned the sport thus watching it as well so i kind of went through a decade uh-huh. of oh. of not i'd follow uh, Wayne Gretzky watch a few of those games but um it was a very at a certain level perhaps an odd choice hmm. i was an odd choice <laughs> of a director <laughs> because i had to look up everything that had, had happened
1: i'm surprised that even came to alberta i mean obviously yeah. gretzky being in edmonton but but you know, uh, his father, Ontario. and Completely. And a huge film industry in, in Ontario. I don't even know, I don't know if you know, but how did that film end up happening here in the first place?
2: I don't know that I can answer that other than saying it was a partnership. It was a partnership between, I can't remember the company name, but it was Susan Cavan from Toronto. Right. And uh, Tom and Jordy Alberta Filmworks at the time, I yeah. believe, yeah. in... Calgary but then we shot in Edmonton and I believe oh, okay. I believe to a great extent because of the goodwill of the right. Oilers and, right. and we'd certainly made use of that and they right. helped us out right there's absolutely old uniforms and the uh, right. a bunch right. of the historical right. stuff right. Right. and some of the players came out to to uh, the older players came out to help us uh, and be in the film cool for some reenactments that we did so th- wow, that came great. out of an interview it was uh, I was working on I think it was into the west and by that point, had an agent as a director. Oh, okay. And uh, I think I had an agent by then. And um, uh, did an, a phone interview that ended up in a phone call. Uh, uh, the phone call ended up in a flight that weekend to Toronto to meet Susan and Carol Hay, who's the oh. was the writer. Cool. And we all got along fabulously, and we went down and met Walter Gretzky. Oh, wow. And one of the most amazing stories that I've ever been involved yeah, with. Yeah, yeah is a, a, a man whose son was the top of the world and who suffered a stroke and lost a, a decade of memory. Wow. And it was the memory of the greatness, basically. Right. So wow. if you met Walter as I met him, everything was rele- he had relearned. And right. In, in a, wow. almost a mechanical way, he had wow. to just go through piece right. by piece. And yet he could take people through the Hall of Fame and uh and and point to everything correctly it was amazing Hmm. yeah tremendous story to work on it was uh shot in edmonton uh i i sadly don't remember one of wayne's brothers came out and um to the location that we had in the somewhere east southeast of uh Edmonton and, and he said how much it looked like the the family home. Yeah, cool. That we wow. yeah. Cool. That's great. Yeah. That's
1: that's yeah, I praise. Yeah. yeah. Uh so what what happened after that movie? Because that was, you know, that, that obviously careers don't always go the way you might expect, but that felt like okay, now I'm going to Hollywood because that's a big that was a big movie.
2: It's it's uh I'm having to rack my brain a little bit because I'm wondering if it wasn't not long after that, that, uh, there was a couple of other shows that came along. There was uh Dino Sapien, which was oh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, um, uh, partially animated live action and, and animation piece. And was it a kid's show And shoebox zoo? They both weren't right, right, shoebox. Yes. Zoo was actually first was with BBC Scotland. Oh, uh, okay. And we shot at the old North of 60. Right. Site. And, uh, Dinosapien, we was a version of that too. We're using some of the same sites and Drumheller and right. places like that.
0: And cool. by this time, you're directing pretty directing much exclusively. Exclusively, right.
2: yep. And and there there was a, a point where I had to just say no, I'm not shooting anymore because it was for years that's how people had known me, right? And, sure, for decades yeah. at that point. Yeah. So uh, a little bit of a scary transition, as there is with any move. Is and um, and then shortly after that, it would have been the Heartland would have called.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. and we're in season 12 of Heartland. So yeah, it's, there's, it's, yeah. there's a decade right there really. And you've been, you've been kind of, I always refer to you as the godfather of, of the show because you've directed by far the most number of episodes, yeah, I, I believe. Yep. Yeah, it's a little well we, over 40 yeah. uh, out
2: of 200. We're hitting 200 a month or two from well, yeah, now. Yeah, Including the yeah. pilot, right? And the pilot. Yeah, I did the pilot. Uh, should be able to help you out with the date there, but I can't, uh, <laughs> um, except we could do the math. It'd be 13 years ago. We would have been in 2007. Oh, seven. Yeah. It sounds right. Yeah. It was October, November when we shot it. So it was, oh, it no. Was, so it would have been, been 06. Yeah, 06, 06 yeah. 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 And, uh, uh, we shot it. It was edited in Montreal. So I was down in, in late November, just Dece- early December. To edit for just a few days could have done used a bit more time. It went into focus groups I found out February or March that it had been picked up cool and and uh so i I uh, was asked to do one block I think I did block five or something in the first year and then it, generally speaking a couple blocks thereafter including a Christmas movie in there something right so, yes yeah.
1: Christmas movie yeah 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 uh and then of course uh Jamie Paul rock at, mm-hmm. uh, I guess season ten after season ten or that's right yeah. Yeah, uh, who's the producer at the time? Yeah, uh, I, I understand. Suggested that you would be the man to, for the job to replace him as he he, he, he moved did. On. It was a
2: funny moment. I was telling Scott the story, so I'll bore him again. But <laughs> um, we had had a, a dinner a few months before. We'd become friends over his tenure, and um, he had asked me. With Tom was there? Tom Cox was there, and and one or two others I can't remember. And he'd asked me jamie paul rock had asked me if i'd ever thought of producing and i'd looked at him like he had two heads and said hell no and laughed <laughs> um cut to about three months later
1: it is a bit of a like like i get the gaffing to cinematography to directing that all makes sense but but the producing is just a different beast yeah, oh yeah. and it had never
2: been on my yeah. my radar really I mean, huh, oh no, of, not at all huh and uh so end of the season. I'm editing three months later, and uh, I'm on my last day. And I'm. A, I know there's only a few minutes. I'm working with Ken Filowicz, and uh, Ken said as I came in that morning, he says, "Oh, Jimmy wants to see us." So I went up to his office, and it, it felt a, for oddly like going to the principal's office. Right. And I, I, I kept <laughs> Something thinking ominous. Yeah, yeah. I kept thinking <laughs> the year's over. I know he's <laughs> done. I I hadn't didn't see it coming at all, and he he sat me down. And he said, "I want to put your name forward as producer." And wow. I, I kind of looked at him like he he had two heads and looked behind <laughs> me to make sure that he wasn't talking to somebody behind me. And um, he, the conversation was only about five or ten minutes long. He put forward the idea that producing is seventy percent creative and thirty percent business hmm. was his. Lie. No, it's It's not a lie.
1: The Calgary Film Center is a world-class screen-based production facility suitably equipped and serviced so you can execute your next project with ease. They have 50,000 square feet of purpose-built sound stages and 25,000 square feet of multi-purpose warehouse and workshop spaces complemented by their anchor tenant, William F. White, Canada's oldest and largest provider of professional motion picture, television, digital media, and theatrical production equipment. And at the Calgary Film Center, their aim is to deliver production support for local, national, and international screen industry projects in a purpose-built venue designed to service individual client needs. As well, the Calgary Film Center delivers programs to engage and support innovation and excellence in the film and television industry. And if you'd like to find out more, you can go to calgaryfilmcenter.com.
2: It is actually isn't a lie this year, but it, uh, I wondered about his uh, technique there right. for a while <laughs> during the first year. Regardless, I begged two weeks to think about it. It was right good. before Christmas, and so I, I I could no longer sit on my keep sitting on my hands. I had to type uh, an email to him right. on Boxing Day, and I I said hell yes, nice. So and then hell yes, not just yes, not just yes. <laughs> yeah, I actually did. I wrote hell yes. Why was it a hell yes? Because I in those two weeks, you know you. A, a massive shift in direction. I, I knew that. I really did not know what I was stepping into. He had promised to mentor me uh, and see me through the, the entire year, first year. Oh, wow. So I knew I would, I, I had a sense of, you know, not that I couldn't fail, but that that there was a lot of help. Right. I also knew I was go- going into a well-oiled machine. Right. Mm-hmm. That he had set up. Right. And uh, the best situation possible. But in terms of pros and cons, I couldn't ever put anything on the con list. It was all pros. It was, uh, I was looking for challenges. I always have. I I always try to, to grow. I just like to, I'm always looking for the new. And this was so out of left field that it excited me. Right. Uh, He followed through uh, with, we talked on the phone every day for months. Uh, He had me down to his house for a week. We went line by line through budgets and we went, he answered my, Endless questions and about contracts and <laughs> right, about right. about uh, HR, like you know, crew. Sure. He, he's a genius at non-judgmental compartmentalization or something <laughs> of people. Like he can describe people in ways that. Could be judgmental, but aren't he? Ne- they never are. Just about and their skill set, their, their skill set, right. or or their philosophy, mm. and what right. whether to use a carrot or a stick, and oh, how to figure okay. that out, right. and how to you know try not to use a, a stick, right. right? Hopefully, never get there. <laughs> um, he just he was so generous and shared so much with me that uh, it completely helped me see something in myself that I did not wow. know existed. Wow. And it's ended up. I mean, my eyes were just rolling through half the year. Of course, it's, yeah. it's a such it, a new. It, thing. Well, the very first meeting, you're sitting thinking, "Who am I as a producer here? As a director, I know what, what it, right. you know, would be in, in a in a concept meeting in a right you've picture got a diff- car meeting." Right. But now, as a producer, we have a, a director hired, and so you you want to steer steer the ship. So what I came to the the thought I came to, and Jamie applauded or. or noticed the worth of it was the only way I can look at producing and still do is that I'm directing the production. I know it may not make sense to anyone or it might make a lot of sense, but I, I view it that way. I have to view it through the old filter. Right. right? Right. Well, and and so far so good.
1: And and they say the TV is the writer's medium and writers get producer credits in TV. Right. So, so I think producers are, you know, the the ones who are always there, right. The whole time, the whole show while directors come and go. Um, But would you say that, I mean, you have a love for this show that, that I don't think anybody else can, can oh, very, I think, <laughs> kind I, of claim. Yeah. To. It's
2: fun when you're there from the beginning. Yeah. It's yeah. it, you can't help, but uh, I can't help, but notice that I love it. Right. I absolutely love right. it. Heather Conkey has been the showrunner from uh, everything but the the pilot. And in fact, she worked on the pilot too, to get it in shape with right. right, new right. material, new location. Right. right. And so really she's done the entire show plus the the movie. And uh, certainly as a producer as well, it uh, she has wel- welcomed me with open arms and continues to, you know, seek advice. And, and it really, I feel it's a complete collaboration. So I would not be here from the beginning because she would, would have been the one that would have decided to bring me in as director right. once the series right. was picked up. Right. And uh, we've had a great relationship. And she's let me, you know, do a lot of her scripts. Most of the scripts I've done are hers. Well. Wow. and they right. tend to be the meaty ones, the the, the cliffhanger over Christmas or the season right. ending sure, yeah. cliffhanger, yeah, yeah. and yeah. the big emotional beats. I've just been so lucky. Yeah, yeah,
1: fantastic. Uh, and I think that you you know your episodes as well uh, are are more Albertan because you are you know it's a lot of Toronto uh, directors mm-hmm. that come right. come to town. Um, not as many Alberta directors working on the show. It's true. Um, and so there's something to, I think there's something to be said for, for that connection as well. Um, and this is the Alberta filmmakers podcast. So.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. There's, a, there's an an interesting thing. Uh, I worked with Roger Vernon years ago as, as his assistant when he was a cinematographer. And he talked about how, how many people come from afar and they're supposed to shoot something in the mountains right? and you'd never see the mountains. Right. And uh, I, I, I really wondered about that. And I do will say having been on many, many projects with many, many people that the mountains, foothills, all that are actually difficult to photograph. Mm. Not difficult so much as you have to ha- have a, a, you have to have a, a working understanding of it. Right. right. If you get too close, they just get buried in trees. Yeah. If you get too far away, they disappear and look like they look very small clouds yeah. on the, right, on right, the right. horizon. So mm. you have to, it's, it's all about finding locations and then, uh, it is, we, one of the things I feel like I helped bring to the show was I really wanted in the pilot to make the landscape equally important as a right, character. Right. It, you know, we're trying to create a world. Yeah. And sometimes you, it, in television, it's easy to get caught up in just the words yeah. and, and the through lines and emotional through lines and all that connecting the dots. But it's, uh, um, when I watch any television show, any feature film, I want to get drawn into a world in those first five minutes and into the place Mm -hmm. and that's where my big memories will will come from that i then place all the emotional right stuff so that's for me to this very day is uh, a highlight and why i mean there's people who have moved from europe very close to the heartland ranch to do sort of what amy the lead character does Ah, okay yeah because uh, of the show? Because of the show. Wow. And, and lives have been changed by yeah, the show. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd l- love to see if we can somehow integrate that into into the blogs or into actually a book. The, so this, the, the stories of that have been told to Sean Johnson and, and other yeah. cast members and Heather Conkey of, of, of their lives being changed in one way or another, uh, including someone who lost a, a child. And was it was, it was breaking their own relationship apart, and it our, our show became part of the 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 solution of the glue that wow. kept them together, and and they went out of their way to much later to let Sean know. And when he tells the story, it's uh, leaves me on the floor. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It sounds like maybe a podcast is a good platform for that, actually. <laughs> Oddly enough. <laughs> um, so what a yeah what an incredible journey um and I think so great for this show too because uh you've you've kind of covered it all but let's go let's go back to producing a little bit because you were just bringing about uh, uh, you know the blog and and you know we 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 have had Scott on actually uh Scott Lepp, the digital producer mm-hmm. um we had we did a whole episode when one of the characters went to Mongolia
2: Mongolia, Mongolia right, yeah right, yep.
1: right. yeah and the and, and that whole yeah, yeah the right. whole journey <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so so
1: what is that been like for you as uh, you know diving into kind of the transmedia or or the digital media perspective of of a show like this with an audience that is as big as it is
2: well i suspect i'm spared some of of that i don't mean spared in for me i think everyone else Uh, the learning curve just to get the show up and running and and and, uh, being budget conscious and and first of all story conscious and all that i think has been big enough so scott really takes care of all of that but Uh, you've
1: got to think like you've got to think marketing now which is oh, very much not something so. you probably no, had to think No and in fact about.
2: Scott and I were sitting in our room within the last 5 days uh brainstorming ways that we can in fact market the show right um, small things is is maybe that we can provide some of how heather views the promotions that could be shown by the broadcaster mm. Rather than necessarily people who who don't have as, as much of a vested interest, right. at least as an option. Right, so those are things we're going to generate this year. Um, Scott's done so well at bringing millions of eyes to the to the the blog and all the social media, and uh, Gordium Lock as well. So, yeah. I, but I confess that that's an area that I'm I'm really just tiptoeing in. Sure, we're sure. doing a significant. Uh, uh, element this year this this year i don't think it's any secret to anyone cbc announced it two days ago that we're doing a, a smaller season oh okay. we're doing 11 episodes right and um i don't know that i can say an air date just yet i don't think there is one in fact so i'll leave that mm-hmm. but it, it creates a bit of a, a void we need to fill with social right. media and right. scott is in fact going to be producing some really interesting stuff cool for that that's probably all I can say on that at the right, moment. Right. But because, yeah, yeah. but
1: like now you have to think about not just yeah not just the episode or this shot, but right. like the whole ecosystem of what Heartland is completely is is, is under your purview now. So it's it's got to be a, it a, is. A, an it's, interesting challenge. It
2: is. It, it, uh, we also keep a, one eye, but a, a small part of one eye out on our American broadcaster right. as well, oh, which right. is yeah. Up TV, right. which has a little bit of their own. Uh, there's no agenda. They don't affect our stories. They don't read into anything, but we do cuts, cut downs for them. Oh, okay. And uh, what does that mean for people who don't cut down? Uh, cut down is just, um, we have about a, I think it's a 42 minute window that, we, uh, out of an hour out of right. 60. Right. Uh, the rest is commercials or promo. And in the States, uh, they need, uh, two minutes less show I okay. think they oh, need to. So every episode that. has to be every episode two is, minutes shorter it has to be wow. recut uh, Ken Felowich has become a genius at <laughs> uh, doing yeah. this Right. It's
0: probably, I'm sure he's thinking that way while he's cutting <laughs> of for course. Canada I'm too, sure yeah. that yeah,
2: yeah, I'm yeah. sure that comes out but I think <laughs> he's done all of them and by the end of this year it'll be over 200 episodes that have, wow. have seen his eye yet again wow amazing yep. so how has your perception of of
0: a producer changed since you stepped into that role mm. yeah and, just, and same with the director how is that now that you're Working that's, with those directors, so like what? Yeah,
2: yeah, that's that's interesting because I'm going to address the last one first. I think the most difficult thing for me last year and my first year as producing, producing, was to was to be with directors on set, it's right? Because there's just I, I'd, by nature, would be doing everything differently. Not necessarily better, maybe not better at all, right? But differently. So it's sort of like, why are you over there? Why didn't you cover that? Right. Like, you know, why is... You <laughs> Which know? you never
0: really did before, right? Like, no, I yeah. would never be on somebody else's set right. yeah.
2: unless I was a camera operator and then just really dealing with the frame. Right. you got something else to think about, yeah. So much so. So um, your first question is, is how, do, how do I see producing different? I thought it was all about the money. I think I probably right. equated it more with production management maybe. Right. Sort of a, an upper level... Um, Just managing the budget management. and keeping it, yeah. and it's it's really isn't that. It's not, certainly not how Jamie did it or how I'm trying to do it. Um, the budget has to be kept, but not at the not at the expense of story. Is you right. always try to put as much on the screen as you possibly can, and then find the ways to keep the budget. Sort of after the fact, it's very easy to come in with a hacksaw. Um, sure, right off yeah. the bat or a hatchet and just go blam, blam, blam before yeah. anybody's even come up with their ideas. The directors have come up with their, right. their ideas. It's just, no, that's going to be too expensive. Well, maybe not. We right. might be able to do it for next to nothing this way. So we've got wonderful crew. We've got world-class crew. We've got world-class wranglers who can help massage a story. We're doing a big story I can't tell you about. <laughs> You'll know, have to wait and see it down the line, but um, our wranglers are are will be asked to do the miraculous, and yet right. with twelve years' experience, we know they will. We have uh, Jesse Thompson, who's one of who's had the top quarter horse in the world in Arizona last year. I think oh, it's wow. Arizona. I might be New Mexico, perhaps, but um, he's our head wrangler, right? Wow. Wow. And uh, I mean, I, I don't want to leave names out, but Jerry, um who's one of our wranglers uh, has been a trick rider, a barrel racer, a world-class. She's in the, the, uh, the world, uh, or the, the Guinness book, not the Guinness book, oh. but the um, hall of fame, Oh, hall right. of fame. Wow. And it wow, bu- bugs me to right rate this second. <laughs> she's going to hunt me down because I don't remember her last name, <laughs> Jerry. And I was right by her house. We were looking at it next to her house on location yesterday. But oh. so um, yeah, producing for me, actually, Especially this year, I'm noticing. Oh, yeah, it is 70% creative, right? And it isn't uh, the bean counting. I thought, you know, and my right. math grades in high school <laughs> steered me away from that. <laughs> what is interesting is that I d- realize I do see patterns, and as long as I can do the math my way in in terms of chunks and patterns, right? Um, I actually do have a my version of a knack for it, and I can communicate with with uh, accounting and, and the budget. Right. And we came in on time on and on budget on a really tough year last year. So that's amazing. Yeah. I'm thrilled about that. And already, you know, I've got a whole bunch of numbers. I never knew (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you how much an extra camera costs and the crew and (laughs) whether you want to hear it or not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I always, when, when, uh, when I was producing plain view, I started to realize that this, the budget was my script. Mm-hmm. Just like the script is, the screenplay is the director's script and, and it's not everything, but you, it's kind of your, your touchstone and your foundation. But I like that you kind of stop looking at it after mm-hmm. a while and you, you have so many other things that you're looking at and, and mm-hmm. thinking about. But um,
2: I, uh, that's actually interesting because it, you know, it makes me think that it has a certain beauty of its own. Yeah. Well, it tells yeah. a story. It really it does. does it's, the, it's the
0: story of how the movie is getting made. Yeah. 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 I and like if you that. can start to, yeah. By the end I was reading it like that and and there were stories behind every number.
1: Well, yeah. And mm-hmm. every change you make, it affects every someone's plans. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's very true. Yeah. Actually. Except insurance. It's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I can attest to that. Yeah. That's interesting. That will affect how I go forward actually hearing that. You're going like to steal, steal that. I'm going to steal that. I, mean, I like that. Yeah. That's
1: great. Uh, So I think – I love that we're getting kind of deeper, and I want to keep going because right now in Alberta, um, thanks to you know places like Telefilm and TELUS Story Hive, um, and and you know just TELUS as a broadcaster in general, uh, there. I think I'm really excited as an independent filmmaker that there's probably more money available to the indie filmmaker in Alberta than there ever has been before. I don't know if I'm right about that, but I but because I've only been around for ten years or so, but uh, the opportunities for for filmmakers, uh, you know don't forget the, about the AFA, of course, um, are happening more and more. Mm-hmm. And so, so people who are aspiring to direct or produce or write can actually have the means now uh, to, you know, if you get enough votes. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, or, or and yeah, and there are other ways well, yeah. of course. Um, to actually make this idea that they have in their head. And so many people have ideas, but it's really hard to execute on them. And mm-hmm. now a lot of people really are. So what, So I think advice from you to those people, uh, on all of those fronts would be Mm -hmm. a directing and producing and maybe even writing. Uh, what would you say to these people who are, who now find themselves with the tools and with some resources, right? What's the best way to capitalize on that?
2: Make films. I, I've had aspired to the same thing. I, I write every winter, right? Sometimes with a partner, sometimes alone. Uh, Lately with Ken Filowich, we've been working for three years on something. So I actually li- live that dream at a sort of development level. Right. But I'm thrilled. I actually get a, a kick out of hearing everyone that gets a film off the ground. You guys have done it. Mm-hmm. If Most people don't have any idea of the odds against. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And there's if you go on a film set, I might overstate this a little bit, but it a lot of people get sidetracked, start with that dream, but then sort of end up doing a a craft one of the right. many crafts on set and then just sort of slowly they're paying their mortgage and everything else bend away from the, the original dream. Right, so right. to the, the still handful of people who are doing what you two have done and have proven it can be done. Um, I, my hat is off because it's still something I want to do. Um, you guys are my hero <laughs> <laughs> heroes. Um, uh, I think also of um, Mr. Pierce in Edmonton. Yeah. In yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Give me his first name, Dylan. Dylan, Dylan of course, yeah, my favorite. He was down here uh, shadowing <laughs> Shadow, yeah, Heartland yeah. a little right. while ago, and then I had the pleasure of going up and watching him for a couple of days uh, in April. And uh, he's doing it. Yeah, he is. Yeah. It, it, so I would just say keep keep doing it. The only way to to have an indigenous film industry uh, culture is for these films to be made. It's the mm-hmm. only way we will ever do it. Right. And we have to go out. We have to do some that uh, maybe don't find a platform f- or harder to find a platform because I pro- I don't know. I haven't had to go searching. I just assume it's as tough as ever to get a, like a theatrical release or something oh, yes. like that. But there's, there is, to your earlier point, there are so many other opportunities. There's uh, Netflix and Right. Apple and everybody. Yeah, sure. Yeah, when it Prime. comes to
1: the platform that that has certainly changed in a big yeah. way And it, I'm still
2: pursuing I still have have the the dream projects that right, right. I'm of still course, working yeah. on and yeah. and uh writing and uh want to see made at some point. Right. So I'm complete I love helping by mentoring mm. if people want to have a, even know, it's just a simple conversation yeah. or some time spent. Yeah, cool. Um I, I, which we
0: can attest to and that's what happened yeah, almost yeah. 2 years ago when yeah. we got the green light for Plainview. you were our first phone call. He said, help, yeah, what yeah. Are, we, we don't know how to make a movie. What do we do? <laughs> <laughs> totally.
1: And actually you gave me as the director some really important advice that I would love to prompt you to, to so that we get it on tape because it, it really made my stress level go so far down and it was about vision and about how directors talk about vision and mm-hmm. what is vision and, and get in their heads about vision. What, what would, what did you it, say? Interesting about that?
2: that you remember that. Yeah. I remember too. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I remember hearing a colleague, years ago a de- two decades ago probably talking about my vision for the for this shot you know for this part part of a scene and, and i i found it sort of pompous for lack of a better word right. I, didn't, yeah. I just couldn't figure it out and then over the years i've heard a number of times and then when i became a director people would say well what's your vision and i never could
3: Quite what does it mean? What does that that? mean? What is yeah, it? Yeah.
2: Physically, yeah. what it what does it mean? And then yeah. I finally realized, oh, it's just simply what I see, what I put my point of view. I had no problem with that right. until you labeled it a vision. Right, right. And it oh. suddenly became this elevated, yeah. difficult thing. But I could tell you where I thought what the, the people would do, and I thought the camera would be over here, which which I've told many people who are starting out is like if you were here right now, where would you put your iPhone to get capture this? Right. They That's all your vision, very man. naturally go somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's their vision. It this whole thing can be greatly simplified. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we have, we go to school for four years and we, you know, read thousands of books. And yeah. And you have a binder have, with blocking and angles and yeah. all of that. Yeah. But it actually just boils down to a simple, where would you sit to or stand if you wanted to watch this, this interview or this, uh, you know, anything in life, anything that's going, it's, it's, is simpler. The uh, human eye, the camera is a human eye and actually, yeah. actually works virtually the same way. Depth of field can be right, explained in the simplest right. de- is depth of focus. It's crazy. If it's a bright day, um, I can see you in the back window a lot better than if it was dark in here, I wouldn't see the back window. Right, so right. all of that stuff is can be greatly simplified. But
0: That yeah. and that's that was something that when, when I was shattering you in Heartland, you said um, that you just, you know, people have apps and all these things to visualize their shots and you just walk around the set and use your eyes I which which is amazing and it makes so much sense <laughs> yeah. obviously but yeah you know, we, have a but we yeah them. we're like here's the, all the tools you need to do it but yeah, your eyes do that
1: for you you're adding complexity is what you're mm-hmm, doing right. sometimes right sometimes they help of course i, I
2: think when people are starting out you can be overwhelmed by the openness. It's nice if you have a camera and thus create a frame. Right. right. And I would say for people starting out, feel free to get the phone out. And, right. You know, or an app just to, to learn. Yeah. Yeah. To learn, to be able to, to, to give it edges and suddenly you'll realize, but, and it helps that I did a decade or so looking through the camera because, right. uh, and it is also just a quirk of my being that I can see stuff by explanation. Right. That, that uh, very clearly, I mean, a, a shot list. I actually can see it, as opposed to having to go stand there and and understand it. I think a number of people can. I don't think it's that rare. Sure. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it sure helps to have that. But I would, I think there's an overwhelming element of of that there is no frame here until I decide where it is. Right. Which every director has to go through, and at some point it we give it too much import until we've done it hundreds of times, right. and then it it becomes as easy as parking the car. Right. Which I did poorly this
1: morning. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah, I, I totally feel you on that because the, uh, the the just the idea of of the freedom, the lack of of constriction, right? Yes. When, when we when we have a film, we can do literally anything. We can put the camera on the roof or, or below us, like. But mm-hmm. but there are ways that make the most sense, and and uh, I think yeah, we can all get overwhelmed with too much choice, too much freedom. Um, and I, I've always found that creati- uh, creativity is actually uh, improved when you put limitations on.
2: Yeah. I believe there is no such thing as a quick and dirt, dirty. If you ever say that, yeah. then probably consider doing something else. We, <laughs> there's a habit we get into with that, but I always right. w- was upset with that early on that if somebody said, Oh, we got a quick and dirty for you. It's like, I just wanted to say back in the phone, I mean, I needed the money, but I'm not going to treat it like a quick and right, dirty. Cause right. I, um the, the, I mean, think of Rembrandt. He did paintings that would splash across yeah. these, the night watch or yeah. any of that. But he also did this beautiful little thing that is about of a side, a side of beef hanging in a, a cavern right. that's as evocative and probably talked about more by artists mm, right. than the massive. Huh. And so the scale is meaningless. It's literally, can you take somebody, somebody's heart and coax it to follow the string right. through the knothole that that um, takes them on that wonderful ride puts them in a world puts them deeply on an emotional through line that pays off that can be done with an iphone and uh, a bit of your friend's time Mm. and to your point and how many times have you been bored senseless by a a film that had all the toys and has the shots from everywhere yeah far far more films have moved me are, are the ones that are done for the budgets that what is We're it about facing those indies yeah it's because of the focus on emotion right it's uh if if you can tease people enough with the idea and then just clearly see through i, I believe the director's work is all about emotional through lines and i think that's why the edit the edit is such a creative place right. it's subtle there but so many times the fix in an edit and ken filowich and i have talked about this a thousand times i think we both believe it that it's i'm going to take it back to camera operating one of the things about camera operating is if the camera operator doesn't fix the shot the director will and they'll probably go in and fix the wrong part so what actually began as a little problem when the person came through the door that wasn't the director fixes them when they come around up front now the Operator does the shot, and all three things are—you know—there's seven things have gone wrong. Right, right, right. Whereas if you went and fixed the thing way back at the beginning, mm. that was the only thing that was wrong, hmm. or where the dolly was at the beginning. Right. Well, it's the same as a director right. in editing. And uh, I realize I'm jumping all over. No, the no, map. no. It's, yeah, it's, it's
0: overcorrecting, <laughs> or or yeah, yeah. Is,
2: is the tendency can be like, oh, the scene failed. Well, actually, so frequently it's just the person who needed the information 17 scenes back or seven, Mm. and maybe sometimes just give them a little more face time throughout. Right. And, and it'll feel like they are processing what they saw way back two acts back, Mm. or you know, a half an hour ago. Suddenly the scene is not only appropriate, but I'm feeling it actually Mm. caring about it. And it's all the same material. Mm. There was no tricks, nothing new written. That's the exciting part is moving hearts and minds.
1: I feel like we could, ask you oh, so God. many questions. Yeah. We're already about an hour, but because you've said that, you know, emotion is the key and empathy yeah. is how we kind of connect an audience to that. What's your best tool? Like what's the best trick to get an audience to engage or really feel empathetic or feel the emotion?
2: I, at quite a level, it's in the writing. I mean, right. it's, it's all in the writing. It's all a grand manipulation. But beyond that, the as a director, I think it's spending time with somebody. And I've read about it in writing books, but then I've practiced it in edits and that is that if you just simply spend time and we always think we there's books written about save the cat mm-hmm. right I think it's one of the most valuable tools that you that a writer can have but a director doesn't have that you have the page handed to you but you you can get I believe get almost the same empathy simply by spending time and so simply in the cut or the where how you place the camera you might have that person who doesn't even speak in the scene, but whose scene it will ultimately become, or the story right. will become, put the camera with them strong in the foreground, and it suddenly becomes all about their perspective. Right, even right. if the focus is deep, you, your awareness is with them. Hmm. And spending, it's kind of putting the audience in their shoes. You're putting them right. in, your, in your shoes and in your cut. And I realize as a, as a director on television, the producers may think otherwise and change it on you, but I always believe the cut, the director's cut is your pitch.
4: Hmm. Tell
2: the story as best right. you possibly can. This is what I would do, and then right. they can change it as as they might. And they frequently fix up things that are, that you become blind right blinded to. Mm. But I think simply if, watching somebody wash the dishes in the morning, you probably go through a, a point of what when, you know when is something going to happen. Right. But then eventually you become mesmerized by uh, watching another human. And if you that that to me is a tool, a very subtle tool mm. that. Europe's, Europeans and Russians and that right. live in that world. Right, and we right. tend to sort of, you know, make sure that something drops out of the ceiling within the first few seconds. <laughs> right. Right. And the other thing is, and, and for me, the, one of the best examples is Fargo, the, the feature film, was those moments at the end. If you can, it, it, when you're just with somebody processing in silence, right. Uh, Grant Harvey, another Albertan and and Craig Robleski were the ones that first voiced that for me, that, you can only have empathy in silence. Mm. It's something I've actually studied as mm. to how many times. I mean, I've watched for and how many times in a film does, do do I never release towards tears or deep deep feeling until they stop talking. Right, right, right. Huh. And then if you're just with them for five seconds, seven seconds, um, and when I say Fargo, if you do, if you look at it, they just have these crazy long moments yeah. with William Macy trying to scratch numbers out of a out of a, a GM, you know, insurance right, chart or right. whatever it was. Um, and yet your heart is is torn in those moments and you'd go anywhere with him, even if it's right. in getting his wife killed. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> but no, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of shots where it is just someone alone sitting in a car or, yeah. or and, and for a while. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's all, yes. all the time we can take up of yours, th- we'll have to have you on again because the that's getting this is getting really good. Um, but thank you for doing this. Uh, yeah, I, so appreciate I, your time. Is there anywhere that the audience should go to learn more about you or about the show or any any anything they can?
2: Um, I would point them towards the show because okay. I don't uh, I don't have a website myself, sure, sure. but um, no, I, uh, through CBC you can get onto our all of our blogs. Cool, right? Uh, and. Uh, Uh, And social media, and uh, it's really cool to be working on a show that not only that provides this much for so many people, but also is touching hearts and minds in 119 uh, countries now. I think wow, around the world. Isn't that
0: all of them? Is there one more? (laughs) (laughs) No, North Korea is the only (laughs) one. Yeah, North Korea. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well said. Well, thank you so much. That was great. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, Well. Thanks,
0: Dean. I, I wish, yeah, I wish we could have been there for another hour. No doubt, yeah, we, um, we
1: are, we are going to have to have him again. Yeah. Uh, he was like
0: one of the first. He was like the first name on our list, we we're like, we should do a yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, like no brainer. Dean yeah. Bennett's going to have to be on for it for sure. So yeah. so
1: glad we finally uh, yeah. were able to make that happen.
0: Huge thanks to Dean um, for taking an hour. He's a very busy man, obviously, because he's producing <laughs> a massive show, and they're just about to go to camera. And somehow he was able to find. Yeah, an hour he made it work us. at the at the production office, at which the is office. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, well, uh, yeah, if you, if you if there's something you found kind of particularly useful, um, let us know. Yeah, I mean, we'd love to hear be, about yeah. it, yeah. So back to the uh, news you can use, uh, brought to you every week by Bleeding Art Industries. As with last week's hot tip, Bleeding Art has ventured into the community to ask some local directors what their top tip is. This week comes from director Michael Peterson. He says, when making comedy, don't trust the cast and crew to decide what's funny or not. Oftentimes, what makes people laugh on set isn't the same as what works when you're in the editing room. So the only thing you can trust is your own gut for what works as you'll be the one dealing with it in the editing room, which is totally, totally true and valid. Uh, I think it's an excellent point. You always need to be of two minds, thinking about what's working on set, but also for the editing that's coming. Um, and I think keeping your audience's mind is really important here too. And just remembering what kind of comedy uh, comedic tone you're trying to hit. And I think as the director, that's your job. Um, it's not necessarily what you find funny, but also what the audience is going to find funny, mm-hmm. which is really tough. Yeah, that's why comedy is so hard. Uh, thanks every week to bleeding art for that. I love these tips. Uh, okay. What's coming up.
1: So upcoming deadline for, uh, female directors. Uh, this, this is the second year this has happened. I believe, uh, the Academy of Canadian, uh, cinema and television. And they're the ones who put on the the screen awards. Uh, is, is doing the second year of the uh, Academy Apprenticeship for Women Directors. And it, the deadline to apply is June 15th, although you can submit right now because the window opened on May 18th. Uh, and they are looking for female content creators uh, to be part of this really cool apprenticeship program aimed at providing female directors across the country the opportunity to further develop and advance their careers on all platforms. They're going to be choosing between six and eight emerging female directors. And it is a six-month program running from mid-September 2018 to mid-March 2019. And it's going to pair you up with one-on-one professional development uh, and on-the-job training, um, as well as uh, special industry and filmmaker guests uh, monthly with virtual chats. And uh, it sounds like you're going to go to Toronto for TIFF uh, for the kickoff reception, uh, as well as a two-day meeting with industry executives during TIFF. Um, there's even more than that, uh, but check out the show notes for more information and, uh, to find out how to apply.
0: If you've got a film, uh, idea or something that you've shot and you're just looking for a little bit more support to complete it, uh, you're going to want to look at the NFB's filmmaker assistance program. Uh, very important that this is not a funding cash program, but they do give assistance in the form of technical services up to a maximum of $5,000. Um, And the National Film Board's mandate is to produce bold and distinctive social issue documentaries, auteur animation, and innovative digital content with a unique uh, Canadian perspective. So they're looking for all independent filmmakers from Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, the Northwest Territories, and Nunavut, uh, Alberta, that's us, who are not currently enrolled in film school, and who have fewer than three professional film and video projects under their belts to apply to this filmmaker assistance program. The deadline is June 25th, uh, so something definitely to check out. You can just Google NFB Filmmaker Assistance Program or find the link in the show notes for more information. Uh,
1: so StoryHive uh, continues to be a wonderful um, opportunity and uh, source of financing for BC and Alberta filmmakers. Um, you and I have been asked to uh, to become mentors for this latest round of digital shorts that are happening. I'm so excited. Which is very cool. Yeah. Uh, and now uh, we, we had, I guess, about a day's inside track on this before they announced it. Yeah. Uh, because we were at at the creator's event. Uh, But uh, the next edition of uh, StoryHive is the documentary filmmaker edition, uh, which comes with a uh, tidy sum of $50,000 to create a short documentary. Holy shit! Yeah, from 15 to 20 minutes long. So uh, if you are looking for uh, a source of financing for your great documentary idea um, and a a decent-sized budget for the runtime, Um, This is the opportunity for you. The uh, applications will close uh, at 12 p.m. Vancouver time uh, on Tuesday, July 3rd. So uh, get uh, get over to Storyhive.com and and, uh, get your project set up and find out more there. God, they give away a lot of money. They really do. You know what? I don't know if they do, but they
0: they just give it to so many projects. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's getting more and more. It's getting bigger every time. I mean, when you think back to the first the first appearance of Storyhive. It was five short films in all of Alberta. I think. I think you're right. Yeah, uh, at ten thousand each. Yeah, yeah. And And now, just the amount of money they gave away is incredible. We know that there are forty seven recipients of the digital media uh, or the digital short version this year. Uh, So yeah, and 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 the hundred Ks blew everyone away. So, but if you think about it, like. Forty-seven recipients is only
0: four hundred seventy thousand dollars, half a million. Yep. And There are other grants that give away that much to a single film. That's right. Yeah. Right? So just yeah. think about how many careers they're they're kickstarting. Um, yeah, with for that sure. Money. It's it's really great. Um, we're very lucky to have them. And if you haven't gone for it, you should try. Yeah. Uh. Okay. The Got a Minute Film Festival has a call for submissions out right now. It's coming this fall, and uh, they're accepting all genres: live action, experimental, documentary, creative, nonfiction, or animation. Uh, Fava members. And youth filmmakers can submit for free; otherwise, it's fifteen dollars. And the deadline is July fifth. Uh, if you don't know what Got a Minute is, it's Western Canada's first film festival for commuters, which is proudly brought to you by Pattison One Stop and the Film and Video Art Society FAVA. Uh, so you submit a one-minute silent film, and uh, it's it's played um, at, at public transit stations on on their screens and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool film festival, really unique venue, obviously. Um, so check out more at Got a Minute Film Festival com.
1: you know uh, I when I f- one of my first um, steps into the the world of, of film and television uh, outside of like acting in school right uh, was an audition I had for a TV show called mentors that shot in Edmonton for a couple oh. years uh, and a couple people in my school had been cast in it including the the lead of the show was was just it was crazy she was she was the lead of a, of a TV show and she was just going to high school with us it was weird. I didn't really know her that well, That's but I was like, she's weird. on that TV show. Um, so I auditioned for this show, and uh, it was uh, it w- the casting director was a woman named Geraldine Carr. And uh, she was awesome. And actually, also, the first place I, I ever ran into a guy named Steve Ashworth, who was running camera for her. Uh. Uh, this was before I got into junior high when he became a teacher of mine. Uh so I yeah, I was just a kid, uh, but Geraldine had some really great advice for me as an actor. <laughs> uh and uh <laughs> that's <laughs> gently put. Uh right. yeah, it was and it was like, yeah, you should keep practicing. Right. Uh. Um, <laughs> but it was great. She actually introduced me to a website called Drew's Scriptorama, which I think is still around and has all these like it was brand new to me and has like it's still around. Is it still around? And, it, and it's like a database of scripts for films that have happened, uh, that have been made, um, you know, big Hollywood films. Um, so her suggestion was to uh, take some of these and and practice with your friends, like recreate these scenes. Oh,
3: this is so cool. It's Look at coo- all the
1: scripts that are on here. Yeah. You didn't know. Holy you've never shit. heard of this site? No. Well, it's
3: it's amazing. like, oh,
0: man, it's not a good site, but <laughs> like just as far as how it's built. But right. damn, yeah, is it it's ever. It's, it is a very... Um, Holy uh, shit. Saving Private Ryan, HTML. What? Look at all this stuff. Yeah, healthy database of... Scream uh, 1, 2, 3, Schindler's List, scary movie. I'm just going through <laughs> the S's right now. Secret
1: Windows, Sense and Sensibility, Anyway, so ready, <laughs> line. Geraldine Seven. Carr uh, is doing an artist-in-residence talk over at FAVA on June 4th at 7 p.m. Um, and she has gone... She's kind of crossed over from um, casting director to filmmaker, and right. has made some films, including an experimental film called Aurora, where she used three different formats of film film, uh, including Super 8, Super 16, and 35mm, uh, and then digitized it all. Um, some cool people on her team, and uh, sounds like a really cool project, and she's going to give you all the details about her experience um, and how she made it. Uh, at cool. Fava in the exhibition suite Very cool. um, at 7 p.m. I believe it is free to attend, but check out the link in the show notes for so more that. It says admission by donation. Oh, admission here. by yeah. donation. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, free if you're poor. Um, <laughs> right. But definitely. <laughs> you should, should donate. do donate if you're Yeah, you can. do donate. <laughs> Uh, very
0: cool. Uh, the AMAS AGM is coming up. It's an important opportunity for the society to report to the membership and for the members to ask questions and play an active part in the society. They will be hosting Bonnie Thompson, who's recently retired from the NFB as the guest speaker, um, during the brunch, which will be followed by the business of the AGM, then a short social gathering to celebrate the year that passed and the year coming up. Uh, and of course they elect a new board and say farewell to those who have stepped down or completed their term. So this is happening on Saturday, June 9th, from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. in Edmonton at the CKUA Performing Arts Space on Jasper Avenue. So, yeah, if you're a member of, the, of AMAS or uh, you want to consider running for the board even, I would say, uh, I don't know if I'm free to say that or how their board uh, nomination process works, but uh, definitely a g- great way to start getting involved in uh, a local organization.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Banff World Media Festival coming up uh, June 10th to 13th at the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel. Uh, If you'd like to register as an Ampia member, you're going to get a discount and you can use Banff Ampia 18 at checkout um, if you are planning to attend.
0: Uh, There's an opportunity coming up in Calgary in June to meet with delegates from China, um, specifically the Guangdong Motion Picture Industry Association, which is an Ampia version uh, in China. Um, And they will be having uh, 20-minute meetings between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m., on June 11th at the conference center uh, at Fairmont Banff Springs. So it's during the Banff World Media Festival. Uh, There will be translation provided, Uh, capacity is limited, uh, so you do have to RSVP uh, and you can contact info at ampia.org to register. I recommend doing a little bit of research first, but uh, if you have a project that's uh, a fit for the Chinese market, which is massive. Or, uh or I think if you just want to meet some people and, and ask some questions about what they would maybe want to see in a pitch or how you would do go about doing business with them definitely look into it it's it's uh it's a blue ocean opportunity for sure and uh will be the future of the film industry is dealing with china so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. info at ampia.org to register
1: uh speaking of the amas uh, AGM the csif uh, annual general meeting is also coming up um and they're combining that event with a summer mixer uh, so this is a great way to um, you know find out how the, the CSIF um, is organized, and uh, of course, uh, another opportunity to uh, have your say on the composition of the board uh, by voting for uh, those who are running or running yourself. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, that starts at 2 pm. and goes until 3:30. And then at 330, uh, the summer mixer begins, and everyone has a good party time. Uh, this is this is a fun event that uh, has been going on for years now and um, totally and we always enjoy. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. Good networking event if you're looking for an opportunity to do some networking. Uh, and uh, the AGM is an important opportunity to meet with fellow members, find out what they've been up to all year, and vote for the new board of directors. I said that already. It is a networking uh, opportunity. Yes.
0: Yes. But I, I we've both talked about this. We'd like to see more diversity on the board. Definitely. So, Definitely. you know, visible minorities, women, um, A lot of white dudes on that board. (laughs) And uh so yeah, I mean I I would recommend um running for the board. If, Mm -hmm. If you're interested in the CSA, if you want to get more involved in your community, it's a great way to uh to do that and to give back and to, you know, have a say in how that organization pushes forward because it really is um one of the, you know, one of the best run or film organizations in Alberta and uh something to definitely be involved in. So
1: well and I think I think there's a lot of complaining. Um, and under understandably, I think we're all going to have thoughts. And I think opinions. there's complaining everywhere and always. Certainly, but. certainly, but but this is when you can actually do something about it, right? Totally. You I, can run run yourself or vote. Have your have your voice heard. You know, you know, stand up and and say, you know, here's what I'd like to see, you know, happening with the CSIF. Um, you know, it can't be all things to all people, but but this is the this is the moment where. Uh, your voice can be heard totally, um, and and, uh, and you can kind of put your money where your mouth is, absolutely, right? Absolutely. And, yeah, and if you yeah. want to see change, like,
0: and and if maybe you haven't learned this yet in your life, but you got to be the one to to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, Nobody yeah. is going to do this shit for you. Yeah. So if you're sitting in your armchair like bitching about how oh no no organization support my needs as a filmmaker or oh you know the CSIF you know has shitty gear or no one really cares about it or um you know. You can do something you about it. You can do that. something about it. It's like I you say really can't. It's I you can't complain about politics if you don't go vote. You just sure. you sure. you give up your privilege to do that or your Absolutely. right to do that if you don't exercise your right to vote. Um so this is the same thing. Like if you know, if if you complain about the CSAF, you're not gonna do anything about it, um, just stop. <laughs> yeah. Just shut up. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, really. It's what's the point? What's yeah, the point what's in complaining? Point? Yeah. Do do something about just it. Just to Absolutely. hear yourself
0: talk. Yeah. So yeah, come do something about it. Um on June twenty third. I, I'm going to be running again. I don't know about you, Matt. We actually haven't talked about it. No, yeah, we
1: we haven't. Are you going to be running again? I, I want to You're keep it sure. a secret. No, of course I am. Yes. I'm going to yes. be running again.
0: Uh, but yeah, come come beat
1: me. <laughs> Absolutely. Come beat us. That, like, like, we're white dudes. Let's we're be the, honest. Like, <laughs> like the, these, There's not a lot of... Uh, the last number of years, uh, there hasn't been a lot of challenge, right? It's, no. It's been, and that's maybe not a good thing for the organization. Certainly not, right? no. Like, like we've been on it for a while. And if the membership feels like, you know, there needs to be a new uh, a new board, then you know, that that should be ha- that should happen if completely the, yeah. The, cause the, cause that board needs to serve the membership. So if so if we're not doing that or if or if some board members aren't um and you feel like you can, you should. Like that's really where this is the opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Uh you do need to be a production member to run for the board. Right. I which think. requires some volunteer hours, yeah. but you can get those in time. You can. I, so I, if
0: I, yeah I like if it. you're into it, you know what? Just chat with them, let them know you're interested in running, find out what you need, or just chat with us reach out to us and we'll help you uh, we'll help you get there even if it means that you might uh, take absolutely, our Absolutely, first. honestly yeah. we are happy it's to democracy help, so. it is democracy <laughs> anyway long story short it's happening so yes. come to the AGM and then Summer Mixer where will network, yeah, yeah. and you can bitch about the new board <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, the Rise Reconciliation Film Festival uh, is coming it's in honor of Reconciliation Week they're partnering with Metro Cinema and the National Film Board to screen some of the best indigenous films to Edmonton audiences each screening will, inter- will include pre and post film activities uh, including panel discussions and additional resources. Thanks to the support of their sponsors, the City of Edmonton and the Edmonton Heritage Council, all screenings will be free and open to the public, although, of course, like any movie theater, space is limited. So this has already started May 26th, and it ends on June 2nd, so it's happening right now um, at the Metro Center Metro Cinema at the Garneau, uh, of course, in Edmonton. If you want to find out more, check out
1: rise-film-fest ca. So I don't know if, if you're a calgarymovies.com user, Scott.
0: I uh, I used to be. Yeah, I used
1: to be a lot more, too. Yeah, and their office, when I started at Chatterson, at the market right, company, like, was in the same right building. Right across, like across the hall. The yeah. hall, yeah. yeah. Uh, so calgarymovies.com is turning 20, Um, which actually, I don't understand. Isn't that uh, how old the internet is? Because the internet is, I feel They were like, early on the internet, man. They and they, really must, have been, they yeah. must have been. They must have been. And so they have decided to put on a one-day free film festival uh, in celebration of that 20th anniversary. And uh, it's going to be held in collaboration with a bunch of local collectives, including uh, the Globe Cinema and organizations like Quick Draw, the Marta Loop Justice Film Festival, and uh, CSIF. So uh, it's, it's a full day of screening. So check out the, the link in the show notes to find out kind of, you know, what you'd like to attend. Uh, but it happens from 2.30 to 9.30 p.m. Uh, and if you're crazy about movies, just stay for that whole time. Yeah, totally. Um, it's happening at the Globe and uh, you can find out more at the link in the show notes.
0: Calgary Horror Con is on. It's happening this weekend. Oh, is it? Wow. Yeah, it's now in its eighth year. Damn. And the Calgary HorrorCon is part Fan Expo and part Film Festival allows fans to meet some of their favorite genre stars and watch films from up-and-coming directors from around the world. This year, it'll also be screening 70 international films over its weekend run at the Clarion Hotel in Calgary. Wow. Yeah, this is super sweet. So check out horror-con.ca slash home uh, to find out more about that. It's a pretty cool event. Uh, um, wow, are, 70 films. And there's someone, there's someone big coming. Briar was like, oh, someone's coming. Linda Blair, of course, wow, is going to be awesome. there. So, cool. uh, yeah, pretty cool uh, pretty cool event, and it's a, a growing con in Calgary. Yeah, I don't think I've ever
1: been, but it, it does never seem to keep growing. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, we we talked about it quite a bit last year, but I uh, just want to remind you about, or last year, last week, uh, uh, about uh, this uh, f- experimental film called Deep Website uh, being presented at Sled Island on June 23rd. Um, it's going to be a cool uh, live multi-channel video and musical performance by Craig Fenner and Matthew Waddell. Um, There's, I mean, there's lots about this, but it sounds like a really cool kind of music film um, crossover that uh, is going to be in 3d and, and all (laughs) all kinds of crazy stuff. Visual feast. Yeah. Yeah. So check out uh, mmedia.ca or uh, the link in the show notes for more information on that. Get your tickets, uh, which are $22 or free. If you have a sled Island pass. You know what kicks ass, Matt? Do tell.
0: Fucking explosions! Oh, whoa, look at this! Yeah! If you love explosions as much as I do, uh, this probably isn't the course for you, but if you really <laughs> love explosions, like <laughs> really, really love them, more than, more than me, um, IATSE212 is hosting a Pyrotechnics Safety and Legal Awareness Oh, training course that's so an important that element that sounds awesome and boring yes yes um, but you're gonna need both of those but things but you can't have the fun without totally the rules. so if you like fire <laughs> and explosions and safety squibs and safety because safety. <laughs> safety, safety comes uh first second or it's third one, it's one it's in the mix um you want to take this course so it's happening on friday june 8th from 9 30 a.m to 5 p.m Full day course 200 bucks to attend you have to be 18 years of age or older Um, and it's happening uh, in the southeast of Calgary. Uh, I won't read you the address because nobody actually cares. It's (laughs) on the podcast, but check out iatsy212.com for more information.
1: Yeah, and uh, some workshops coming up. uh, Another workshop coming up uh, is the Intro to Color Grading with DaVinci Resolve, instructed by Brandon Rathbone, happening at FAVA Uh, in Edmonton. It's $90, and it's for FAVA members only, and it's happening June 9th and 10th from 1 to 5 p.m., uh brendan is amazing uh and, he is amazing uh, if he's
0: not listening just someone tell him to listen to be like <laughs> yeah really and then and then right now i'm just gonna say hey man <laughs> i hope you're listening i miss you he's great he is great uh and this is a great opportunity to meet uh one of the best colorists in the province yeah so shooting with the scarlet is a workshop that happens at the calgary society of independent filmmakers every once in a while um the, the red scarlet of course is their cinema camera uh, it's a pretty dope camera, but you have to take this workshop if you want to rent that camera to make your own uh, short film or feature film or whatever you might want to do. So this workshop is happening on Saturday, June 16th uh, from 10 to 5, uh, 120 bucks if you're a member, 160 if you're not. And uh, the instructor, of course, is Aaron Bernakovich, who is going to be on the podcast soon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he's coming, coming up, up. So I'm looking forward to that episode a lot. So the deadline to register is June 11th. You can find out more at csif.org.
1: So, uh, a couple of things shooting in town, 10 star season two continues, uh, and the story high hundred K recipient abracadavers is, uh, I, I think they've got to be close to being done. They've they been, must be close. It's like they've been shooting <laughs> they for a long time. Close. Uh, and then of course, just getting started on June 5th is a feature film called red eye, uh, which I believe is being directed by Benjamin Ross Hayden.
0: Yes. I think you're right. Yes.
1: And, yes. uh, uh the producers i don't have here but if you're interested in getting involved in the production i'm sure they are in need of people right now certainly yeah it's Um, probably a good time
0: to be reaching out to them
1: yeah you can reach out uh to joanne berry who's the production manager uh, or perhaps if you are uh looking to uh, act in some way uh marcy hershen is the uh the casting director and the background casting director um so yeah yeah,
0: I think, I think Brian found this on the actor website. Yeah, so, so kind of why it's all focused on that. Yeah, sort of stuff, and
1: it's but. probably on the DGC website as well, and they'll have a they'll have the phone number to reach the production office to get in touch if you're interested in being a part of that. Oh my God, Heartland starts today. Yes, it's that's Thursday. Right. That's right. As yeah. we record this, mm-hmm.
0: Heartland is starting. So oh right, yeah, it's not on the list. list. No, no, right, I'm, the I'm like, why? Now. Why do you bring that up? Well, because yeah. we're talking about yeah. what's shooting. Congrats to the Heartland folks on their season twelve starts today. Season, it's incredible, amazing. Uh, what a great day to be sharing Dean Bennett's episode. Yeah, Yeah. of course. I didn't even think think of that. Yeah. When we plan all this shit, (laughs) we did. We thought about (laughs) that. Yeah, of course. Um, job calls, Calgary international film festival is looking for an artistic director. This is basically like applying to be a, you know, a VP of a massive company. Like you need a lot of experience, a lot of technical know-how and a lot of artistic know-how. Um, not for the faint of heart, but definitely uh, a position that will, um, be amazing and we really hope that an amazing person uh, is hired in it so uh if you think you're that person check out uh the link in the show notes or i'm sure they've got it on the website or you can email all your stuff to calgaryfilm at searchlightcanada.com also new season of the fantasy movie league starting this week oh is that right i yeah. didn't even know wow yeah so congrats to briar who Does won the <laughs> last season she's won all of them except i think one that Kotsky. Yeah. yeah that's right yeah Tonsky beat her out she's uh yeah she maintains the throne <laughs> um but you can uh, you can join our fantasy movie league it's it's open to anybody just as long as you have uh, the link and the password. Um, and we should have the link on Facebook every so often maybe we'll do it. Yeah, we should we should do it now do it but again new yeah, yeah. starting it's new uh, season. yeah, you just download the app or you can visit the website uh join our league and every week you uh you fill up a, a, your own kind of virtual theater with uh, the movies that are actually screening and then they take real world box office numbers to give you your, your what your what your take was and you compete with everyone else. so basically you're betting on what you think the most uh, what movie is going to make the most that weekend.
1: Yeah. It's fantasy football for movie, movie nerds.
0: Yeah. Cause I don't care about football, but I do care <laughs> about movies. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, join us. Uh, some seasons we give out prizes, um, <laughs> to Briar. <Breyer. laughs> Someone has to No, Totski won the first time. We gave that's right. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but someone's, yeah. Anyway.
1: So, uh, Briar is very diligent. Like, like so good, miss, she does a lot of I, like I miss the deadline and I'm like,
0: ah, no, know. she's yeah. She takes it pretty seriously. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, do you have a recommendation for this week? Because I
1: one. don't have any recommendations. I
0: just discovered this amazing website. It's called Drew's Scriptorama. Oh, nice, <laughs> do tell. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> uh, I'm still just scrolling through all the scripts. <laughs> Dude, they've got like so. So I just I, I learned about this website fairly recently, um, and I haven't really dug into it too much. But but apparently they've got screenplays of yes, movies yes. that have been produced. That In you can fact. Just,
1: it's been a while since I've been to the site, but I would say they—it's more likely that they have the script you're looking for if it's like a produced Hollywood film than not, right? Right. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm it's just... quite an expansive database of scripts,
0: and it's a great way to see, um, you know, what a, a Hollywood level script looks like, how they write them, what how they format them, you know, what they pay attention to, whether they're written with shots in mind or not. I'm just looking at *Silence of the Lambs* screenplay right now uh and it's amazing it's got close on and then another paragraph the guest room and then with clarice moving shot as she runs around a corner really interesting stuff cut to it's got a lot of screen yeah it's interesting in it.
1: yeah it's interesting to see how
0: writers write yeah um, for sure and and it, and so and because we get a lot of notes as screenwriters to be like oh don't include the shots right, in your right. screenplay that's yeah. the director's job yeah but i mean silence of the lambs did it yeah for right sure. like absolutely so yeah, it's yeah. one of those things that's
1: uh, yeah, it, yeah, I think I think it points out that there's really no rules. Um, it's more about who you're working with. If if you if you have a director who's like, no, no, you you don't get to put that in there. Sometimes you are the director as well, so you want to put that stuff in there when you're reminded of, oh, this is how I want. This right, shot of course. To be. So, yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. Drews dash script dash orama. I don't know what it is. Is that what it's, it is? It's yeah. Uh, it's actually just script dash
0: o dash rama dot com. Got it. Um. And it's yeah, it's a pretty basic website, but it's just it's a long list of of movies. Yeah, just it's awesome. Click it and, and it's, read the screenplay.
1: It's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, what what uh, what should I recommend? I uh, I have no idea. Um, just dead air. I'm just recommending. You know what? I recommend listening to this conversation with Dina second time. Oh <laughs> shit, that's a good one. A good one. Uh, no, I I uh, I yeah, I, I'm I'm just so glad we got it and, and yeah. it worked out so well and yeah. he's. He's so gracious, not just with, you know, the time, but also with his knowledge. And um, so, yeah, big thanks to him. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh,
0: And thanks, of course, as well to Briar, who uh, goes out and gets the news for us every week uh, so that this show can actually be useful, Mm -hmm. apart from just the conversations. Uh, Chad, uh, who does the music, Britt, who does the graphic design, and Seth, who who edits it all together and makes it sound uh, pish posh which is how he would say it. <laughs> Done and dusted is another one. Oh, is that a good, oh, you I You haven't like heard that. him say that? No, no, does he say that? All the time. Done and dusted? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Oh, I haven't heard him
1: say and that. And it's not a term that I'm familiar with, uh, except really from him, but then another, another, one of our clients used it as, as well, and I'm like, that's the only, I didn't bring it up, but this is the, only the second time I've ever heard Done this. Done and dusted, yeah. But she also has an accent, and I'm trying to remember where she's from. Oh. So it must be a- uh, The UK-ish you know, European area? thing, oh. I guess, yeah. I don't and dusted. Know
0: yeah yeah he's he can get away with so lot because he's got a <laughs> british accent he says stuff that i'm like i couldn't get away with saying that <laughs> yeah anyway um yeah so if you're a filmmaker in alberta and we uh, as we always caveat we don't just mean director producer cinematographer mm-hmm. we mean, you know mm-hmm. casting agent or uh, a grip that you're a filmmaker you're making films sure uh this podcast is for you mm-hmm. but it's also about you so if you've got something going on let us know and we are uh happy to share it with the
1: community yeah uh obviously uh Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud—you uh, can find us on all of those platforms at AB Filmcast, uh, and of course you can email us at hello at abfilmcast.ca. And uh, we are on—I found—I found a new one. Somebody—I forget—we're on a new platform that I didn't even know we were on, and I—I I can't
0: even. I just remember. love that how that it's works. It's crazy. The internet yeah, just yeah, grabs yeah. it and makes yeah. it its own. That's, yeah, that's
1: great. But we're on iTunes, of course, and if you give us five stars on iTunes, that really helps with uh, people finding the podcast. So
0: yeah, for sure. If yeah, if you're listening to a on SoundCloud, give that track a like. Um because it boosts it all to the top and, and you know, who knows? Maybe this film maybe this podcast uh will help somebody someday. Yeah. Alright. Uh that's it. That's all. Let's let's it's all done and dusted. We'll <laughs> just have a, a final message from our, our sponsor, APA, the Alberta Post Production Association. And after you're done listening to that, go, go make me. something. The Alberta Filmmakers podcast is proudly sponsored by APPA, the Alberta Post Production Association. APA represents technical and creative professionals working behind the scenes in editing, sound, and visual effects. Our members live here in Alberta and support producers with expertise in picture editing, color grading, graphic design, compositing, audio post, music scoring, and so much more. For more information about post-production, visit APA online at
4: albertapost.org.